Welcome to Look See, the podcast for anyone and everyone curious about the art, the artists, and the creative community in Richmond and beyond. I'm Paige Goodpasture. I first met John Fryer over Skype. He was at VCU's campus in Qatar, and I was in Richmond, hoping that he would agree to speak at that year's TEDx RBA. He did agree, and I think he was the only speaker that year to roll a large tricycle bike onto the stage while drinking ice water from a blue mason jar. Since then, I've encountered John's projects in many different places, from New York City galleries to the Richmond Street Art Festival. Recently, he even took his fancy bike and recovery roast coffee to Capitol Square and shared a cup with Governor Terry McAuliffe. This man is busy. His work involves performance, film and video, photography, and social practice. He also teaches at VCU and mentors and advises groups that support college students who are in recovery from addiction. He's also a dad and the husband of fellow Richmond artist Sasha Waters Fryer. At any one moment, it seems, he has five things going. A few months ago, I had the chance to talk with John about the many, many projects he's working on. My name is John Fryer, and I am an assistant professor of cross-disciplinary media at Virginia Commonwealth University in Richmond, Virginia. Okay, so that's my first question. So what is cross-disciplinary media? It is a great title that kind of describes the multitude of things that I do. So my practice involves performance, it involves film and video, it involves photography, uh, it involves social practice. So it was a title that was descriptive of the way that I work. When I was looking at your past projects and the description of them, one of the things that was a phrase that we used to describe them that really resonated with me based on what I know about your work was this idea that you're you're interested in exploring systems of exchange and by that you mean how the circulation or the exchange of objects and stories enriches social ties between individuals and groups. And the project of yours that I'm most familiar with is the Free Ice Water Project, which is something that you have been working on since you came to Richmond a few years ago. Why don't we start by talking a little bit about how that project is a way for you as an artist to explore these ideas of exchanges of stories and objects is that this project has sort of all of those elements. Sure, sure. So so Free Ice Water is a project that originated in 2013. And like a lot of my projects, I start things without quite knowing what they are and I shape them around their success and failure and experimentation with what the thing is. So Free Ice Water started for me at a place where I entered recovery from addiction to alcohol. And it was something that was started in the chaos of that moment where I was drinking a lot of ice water, as you can imagine, and becoming involved in conversations about sobriety with people who were also trying to get sober. I wasn't sure what it was at that point, but as I came out of the kind of chaos of that moment in 2013 and started moving forward in my own experience, I started to want to share some of the experiences that I had entering recovery with 
this outside community. It's a simple project. So it's a project where I take these blue mason jars and I set up uh, a space where people can have face-to-face one-on-one conversations over ice water. And um, sometimes it takes place in a gallery setting. Sometimes it takes place on the streets of Richmond or the streets of New York. And it's a simple gesture of here is a place to meet. Here is a vessel to share water from. And then the end result of this, which kind of brings us back to one of the main thrust of your questions is, is, is like uh, stories related to objects, uh, circulation of objects, is that this object is this really humble, simple mason jar that we're all familiar with. People have a conversation over it. They share water from that same vessel. And at the end of the conversation, they're instructed to take a token either that I've provided or they've brought with them to put in the jar and they are instructed to sign and seal the lid of that jar and then in a gallery setting sometimes that jar goes uh, on a shelf in the gallery or in a street setting one of the participants will take that jar and have to deal with it and by deal with it they have to determine what the thing is so I'm very interested in our relationship to objects and what those objects are are determined by our experiences with them and the stories that are attached to them. So in some ways, this object is the same object it was at the start of the conversation. In other ways, it's been transformed by that conversation. So if you and I had a conversation over a jar of ice water and we both brought something of significance to contribute to that jar and I gave you that jar after our conversation, what is it? Right. It could be, from my perspective, it's a jar that's been transformed by that conversation and it's an artwork. And from the perspective of the person that has it, it could be something else or it could be, it could still be a jar, which, which I'm really interested in because, you know, stories are the things that, that make one object something other than it is. Right. It's the history that's attached to it. And obviously in in ideas of questioning what art is and what, you know, different objects are and the ideas of the ready made, that transformation is something that's kind of a it's not just an artist calling something art. It's also this negotiation between an an audience and that audience in the case of the of the mason jar is really small. It's really this negotiation between the two people or in, in, you know, if, if it's in a gallery setting, it's between me and somebody, you know, it could be between me and another person, but it also might be two people who are unrelated having a conversation and they have to decide what that thing is. You know, something like a project called All My Life for Sale that I did where I sold off everything I owned on the internet auction site eBay uh, and traveled around the country visiting people who bought stuff from me. On one hand, they're very different in terms of what they are, and on the other hand, they're very similar because in each of those projects, there are these objects that are just objects. Some people who bought stuff from me, like a James Brown record, they're probably playing that James Brown record, and and that's what it is. And there's somebody in Washington State who bought a can of sauerkraut from me and sent me a photograph of their can of sauerkraut on their bookshelf, and it's no longer a can of sauerkraut. Now, whether or not it's a piece of artwork is still a good question, but it's no longer something that's going in their pantry. It's something else. So the story has transformed it into something else, and that's that's really 
something that I'm interested in and in my practice I'm interested in. And, and so when you talk about systems of exchange in the case of eBay or in the case of, you know, all my life for sale, that exchange system transformed that object from one thing into another. But it was also the person's perspective on it and the story that was attached to it, right? Mm -hmm. Because there were plenty of transactions that took place in that project where it was just a transaction and the person got what they wanted and mm -hmm. didn't reply to any of my emails when I was saying, but I'd like to come and visit you. And, <laughs> and in that project, you did something to be a catalyst to possibly making that object something more than just an object being sold on eBay, didn't you? You wrote little bios of oh, yeah. each so of the it, objects. Yeah, in that project, sure, there was a website. And then each of the objects, when I sold them on eBay, uh, had a description about them. And, and since they were kind of ordinary objects, the only description that I could really come up with were you know, my experience with that particular object. So in, in many ways, that, that project became this autobiography. My life up until that point told through the story of these objects. So Free Ice Water, by contrast, came out of a traumatic experience for you. Sure. Did that alter what you were trying to explore or what you were trying to get out of this exploration of the exchange in free ice water, for example, it seems to me that the connection or the story between the people that are having the conversation is just as important to you as the artist, as the object and what it is transformed into or whether it's art or not. Yeah, I feel like the question of what these objects are is ancillary to the experience. And even in All My Life for Sale, for me, the most important thing in that project was my experience interacting with the people who participated in the project. So going and traveling the country and visiting people and staying with them and learning about their community and so on and so forth was so much more important than any of the objects. That's why I'm less concerned about what happens to these jars when somebody takes them than I am about creating a space where two people can have a face-to-face distraction-free conversation, right? So for me, my experience in recovery was I relearned the power that comes from having face-to-face -face conversations with people, right? The ability to exercise empathy, the ability to be comfortable in one place with one person and to engage and interact with them in a way that I hadn't experienced in a very long time. So, I mean, part of that project for me is about trying to create that space that I was given that gift of in my own experience in recovery and trying to share that with people outside of that community, right? So I've done the project in multiple settings, from fine art gallery settings to on the street to uh, in larger groups of people in recovery and larger groups of, of just general population and it is this really interesting, especially like when you have like 25 people doing this at the same time, just to have people quietly talking to each other in a distraction-free environment. It's really great to, to watch and, and witness and experience. So tell me about some of the different places that you have taken this project and what those experiences were like. How were they 
the same? How are they different? One space that it, the project existed in was in a Chelsea gallery called Mixed Greens, and that was in the summer of 2015. And that was the most art-specific space. I did a few different things where I scheduled time to meet with a bunch of different people, so people made scheduled appointments to talk to me, and then I also set up a space for people to uh, have conversations. And that one was... For me, because I met with all of these different people in that space, I had really intense conversations with people that I didn't know, or, and also intense conversations with people that I did know that I, I didn't expect to be as intense as they were, right? So just by setting up a, a, a scenario where we could be alone and, and have conversations really led to really impactful conversations that were unexpected. So we've talked about the blue mason jars. Sure. And the fact that it's a distraction-free space to have this conversation. But how, other than the mason jar, what do you do to create or what do you instruct people to do to create that distraction-free environment? So, yeah, so there's a kit. Right. So in the gallery space at Mixed Greens, there was a suitcase with these jars, and then there were envelopes with instructions on, on how to participate in the project. And there were, you know, there's, there's a number of steps, one of which is to find someone to talk to. The second one is to designate a block of time, which is 45 minutes to an hour. The third step is to take your phones, turn them off, put them inside this envelope so that you can't see them and they won't distract you, and then to have a conversation. The conversation prompt is for people to think about a moment in their life where they change direction in their life. So when I was talking to people, I would tell them a little bit about my own personal recovery story and point to May 21st, 2013, which is my sobriety date as a turning point in my life, although I could go through my life and find multiple different turning points. So then people would tell me about different things that served as turning points in their lives from people that they met trips that they took, diagnosis with cancer, all kinds of different things that served as turning points. So yeah, you come into a space, it's set up with a set of table and chairs, there's jars available, there's water, cold water available, and there's an instruction packet. So it's pretty, it's pretty straightforward, although I, I was meeting with a curator in Stockholm and I gave him, you know, one of these kits and as straightforward as it is, it's also, that's a lot of steps. I have to do this, I have to do that, I have to do that. I am asking people to make 45 minutes to an hour of time to be with somebody who you don't quite know is a lot to ask. Mm -hmm. And I know that, but it's worth it. <laughs> I happen to have had the pleasure of seeing your project Free Ice Water set up at Mixed Greens. Yeah. I was struck by the beauty of the objects. To me, it's very interesting that you're exploring these ideas of objects and exchange through these very beautiful objects. You've also taken this project to places where it's much more real world than yes. in a gallery in Chelsea in New York City. How is the project different, the same? How is the experience, you know, change or does it in those spaces? It certainly changes. Right. And, it, and, and it's a project that responds to its environment. Right. So the most recent iteration of this was at the Liverpool Biennial, it was part of the Liverpool Biennial Fringe. 
I worked specifically with a group called The Brink, which is an organization that supports people that are in recovery. So in the setting of Mixed Greens, that's a gallery setting. I certainly interacted with people that were in recovery there because of the information that surrounded the project. At The Brink, it was really specific to people that were connected to that organization. There were some people that came from elsewhere, but the majority of people were connected to that organization. It was interesting. I mean, some of the the people who were participated didn't know each other. Some people were really early in recovery. So I'm three years sober out of this. My experience in recovery has been very positive and so far successful. Many of the people who participated in this were just starting to have these conversations. So that was really interesting, right? So where I'm trying to share my experience outside, this was a, my experience was being shared really close with inside this 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 community you know one of the results of that was that two people who didn't know each other are connected in a way that they're very much engaged in each other's recovery journeys in a way that happened because of that moment Mm -hmm. that wouldn't have happened had i not been there i feel like my practice is straddling art and life and it was definitely on the life side as opposed to the art side I mean, on one hand, it's a, it's a project that can speak to a lot of people, but at, at its core, it's a project that's about two people sitting across from each other and engaging. Will I get updates as to you know, what these jars become? Maybe. Mm-hmm. But if I don't, I don't really care. Mm-hmm. It's right. more about the exchange of the stories in this yeah. case yeah. than of the object. Exactly. And the object is a way to formalize that and maybe create that formal serious space for this conversation to happen as like a totem. Yeah. To put it in the middle of the table and say we're serious, this is a yeah, real conversation. A where we're, yeah, this is a moment where we are going to have a serious conversation mm-hmm. uh, and interact and engage now. And can that be carried forward? Last year, you also went to Qatar VCU has a campus there. Yeah, so there's a center called the Fanoon Center for Print Media Research that I was a visiting artist in. Many of the people who participated were students at Virginia Commonwealth University, Qatar. So they had made a decision to pursue education in art and design in Qatar. So they were a self-selecting group in some ways, right? What were your observations about how those conversations differed or didn't from, say, the ones that happened in Liverpool, where you were engaging with a community that was really tightly bound by this core issue sure. that's a very core part of your your own project? Sure. Well, one thing I ask people whenever, like, especially when I meet with a big group, is, you know, when was the last time you had an hour-long conversation with somebody that was distraction-free. And actually in Qatar, the answers were very recently, right? I don't want to make a broad generalization, but I think that the my experience there was that people who participated in the project there very frequently would make time to sit and have tea and have conversations with their family and their friends in a way that was was distraction-free. So what I was trying to encourage in many ways was already happening there or has not been lost there yet. You know. That said, I think defining distraction-free by making people turn off their cell phones, I think everywhere turning off your cell phone uh, globally is, is uh, stressful. Is stressful. <laughs> right. Yes.
that was a project that we did ice water and then I started a project called Free Hot Coffee Now. Let's see, it's a combination of the ice water project and then this coffee project that centers around a coffee that's called Recovery Roast Coffee. And it's a coffee that comes out of working with populations that are affected by addiction and specifically in in the Richmond area. uh, I've been an advisor to a campus recovery community group called Rams and Recovery. And we work with Lamplighter Coffee and determined a custom roast of coffee. And that's also something that I did when I was in Liverpool. This is a project that is in many ways like a balancing project to the ice water project. Uh, You know, ice water is this great thing that you can do in the summer and free hot coffee is this great thing you can do uh, from the fall until, you know, once it get hot here again, May. Mm -hmm. It's not only a balance to the ice water project, but it's also in people's recovery program. One of the most important components of people's recovery is not only their own experience, but also service to the community that's been helping them. So the coffee project, one of the the service components of this is that over the summer, we built this big tricycle bike that's called the Free Hot Coffee Bike. And I built it with the Richmond Bicycle Studio and in partnership with Lamplighter and in partnership with just this whole community of people that wanted to support the project. It's a bike that's ridden around campus and around VCU by students that are in long-term recovery. And they serve this recovery roast coffee and they make pour over cups of coffee in cups that you can't take away. Right. So it creates. And this is again to pour over takes a long time. That's right. And so it forces you to stand there and wait for your pour over to be done. And in the meantime, you're having a conversation of some kind with the guy or woman on the bike. That's right. So free hot coffee creates a space for the general public to interface and engage and and have conversations with people that are in long-term recovery. It's built to kind of break the stigma. Pour over coffee takes about eight minutes to make a proper cup of coffee. And then you're given a cup of coffee that is in a cup that you can't take away. So there's a commitment to being in a space and engaging with somebody for 10 to 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. Right. I've also seen the cups that you're using for recovery roast coffee and and they're beautiful and they stack together just so and so there is an aesthetic element because after all John you are an artist so I I can't help but think about aesthetics Mm -hmm. right so that is built into the things that I do although to me those those things are a way to bring people in. They're kind of ancillary things. It's a way to make people comfortable. What I want is people to engage with each other and how do I do that? And I can do that by building a really cool looking bicycle and having great cups to sit down with and and having great tasting coffee and all of the things that are built around facilitating that conversation. And maybe even the the object is the thing that starts the conversation to begin with, because we all need that entry point. Yes. Um, How do you how do you enter? Yeah. something. I think, you know, as an artist who works, you know, on conceptually based projects or social practice, like there's a question of how people enter contemporary art and how they engage with it. My goal as an artist is to create a space where people feel comfortable entering. And 
I, I also like the the idea of space being ambiguous in terms of what the thing is, right? So I guess I don't really care if people come into something thinking that they're participating in a larger project or if they're just getting a free cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. I think if the free cup of coffee they get engenders an interesting conversation and changes their perspective just a tiny bit. That's a pretty successful action. Well, thanks, John. Yeah, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the show today. We are a project of Look See, an online forum for the visual arts in Richmond and beyond. Go to look-see.net for more to watch, read, do, and listen to about Richmond's vibrant creative community. I'm Paige Goodpasture. <laughs>